Have you ever found yourself saying, I should have, I would have, I could have, when it comes to raising up the next generation? You know, there will always be best practices that we discover later that we'd wish we'd known earlier, but parenting and teaching are not about what we'd wished we had done, even when our children are in high school or even graduated and living independently, for that matter. Grace is amazing, and practical wisdom is still available for us as we move into the future. Join us for this episode of Basecamp Live as we welcome back Keith McCurdy, who gives us more of his helpful and encouraging words of advice mountains. We all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it ancient future education for raising the next generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, Keith McCurdy, welcome back to Basecamp Live. Uh, thanks for having me. I love coming and talk to you. I know. We're losing count of how many times you've been around. If folks are not familiar to you, you have missed out on a, on a real treat. I have so many emails of people saying, when are you going to get Keith McCurdy back on? And so I got Keith McCurdy back on. Here you are. Well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited. We're doing these new uh, McCurdy moments that are starting to happen in all these episodes. So you get a little blast of Keith every episode coming up here. My, my pr- kids would apologize for you. Hey, it's going to be for good. me for that. <laughs> Well, if you don't know Keith McCurdy, I've, Keith, I love to say I don't know anybody else, certainly in the in the classical Christian universe, that I think is 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 better to uh, come speak to us. I mean, you you've you guys in Roanoke, you've been a part of um, Faith Christian School there, been on the board, and so you get classical Christian. You're also a, a you know licensed uh, professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist. You've seen. We're just trying to figure out your numbers. I don't know at least fifteen plus thousand. Uh, individuals in your office over the last what thirty years, mm-hmm. not even counting yep. you add their family, and it's probably a hundred thousand. But what's even more amazing is just you're on the road a ton. Um, Ten thousand teenagers you've spoken to in the last two years alone. So I mean, you have got your finger on the pulse of the neuroses of our kids <laughs> and our parents, and maybe your podcaster too. Um, we're so glad to have you. Here. I, I, you know, thinking about the many things we talk about, you have a, some wonderful messages you give around uh, raising sturdy kids. We need. Boy, that message needs to get heard a lot today in kind of our our bubble wrap generation mm-hmm. we're raising up. Um, but, you know, one thing that uh, I, I want us to jump into, and this is kind of the, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room, but I know just as a human being and as a parent, parenting is one of the most difficult things God ever calls us to do. And the truth is we never do it perfectly. Um, we're all walking wounded. We're all broken people. And I know the older our kids get, I think the harder it is sometimes to hear parenting advice. I mean, I, if I'm really honest, like I know you're going to be speaking at our school tomorrow. I'm like, do I want to hear Keith for six hours? Tell me how to parent when I'm going to sit there and think, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. (laughs) And I didn't do that. And I am a loser parent. Thanks, Keith. That was a lot of fun. So you must have people that you encounter all the time who are kind of walking around with, I don't know, parent guilt, maybe just feeling like I am not who you think I am. Yeah. You know, I, I was doing a conference, um, Sometime last year, I think it was in Dallas, and we had a couple hundred parents uh, that evening. And I spoke, and when I got done, I was taking question and answers. And and the first question in the very back of the room, a woman raised her hand, and I said, you know, called on her, and she said, "Now that you've told us, you, we have totally screwed our children up." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and so, yeah, the perspective is there. It's it's like, gosh, do I want to go hear all the stuff that I didn't do so oh no what am i going to do with my child yeah now? i mean we walk around that woulda coulda shoulda and yeah. and sometimes and i think it's just natural we're we know we're communal beings we're in we're in comparison mode especially as parents i mean mm-hmm. it's everything from 
Well, you did that for your kids. You got that for your kids. I mean, it's, I think that's just normal being a human. Yeah, it but, is. But I think we got to realize too, when we think about our parenting, um, we, we've got to realize we operate on negative confirmation bias. And what I tell parents all the time is, you know, we're our worst evaluator of things that are important to us. An example of uh, some people say, what's a negative confirmation bias? Uh, I'll give you a simple example. If, if you're a husband or wife out there, if I gave you a sheet of paper and I said, you got 30 seconds, uh, write down everything that drives you crazy about your spouse, go. I mean, we would be whipping it out. <laughs> Our wives would be asking for extra paper. Please don't ask my wife. Yeah. So it, it would just be going on and on. But <laughs> if I said time, yeah. now turn the paper over and you have 30 seconds, write down everything you appreciate about your spouse. Sure. Go. We'd have to think for a minute. Now, the reality is, it's not that eventually we would not come up with a grand list of what we appreciate about our spouses, but it's not what comes to our memory, to our, to our, to our brain quickly. Mm. You know, so we are, you know, part of the nature of being broken is we are drawn to negative and we see negative so much more yeah. easily. And we do the same with our parenting. And so, yeah, I mean, when I, have, when I do a conference and parents are there, I know one of the things they deal with, because they share it with me regularly, is, you know, parent guilt guilt over what I haven't done or whether I've messed my child up or whether because I didn't do this or I did it wrong, have I damaged them in some way? And, and I really see parents kind of in three categories with that. You know, one of the categories is uh, parents that operate just with the notion of, man, this, this is hard, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it requires really self-sacrifice. I've got to decide that all the things that I pursue in life, some of them have to be put on hold or or I, I've got to leave them alone to really raise these children. So that's one struggle that parents struggle with. They're going to come and hear something that they need to go home and do now, and it's going to cramp their style in a way. Because they've somehow bought into this idea that you can you know pursue your, your, your own dreams as a parent. And that, I mean, I, I mean, it seems like in the world today, right. a lot of, I mean, the scary thing is that a lot of our um, young people in our culture are choosing not to get married, not to have kids. And part of it's just, well, they're a pain. They're, you know, I don't want to have to deal with that. I got my own stuff to do. Yeah. And, and I wonder, like we look at that and go, well, clearly that is not good. But I wonder how much of just sort of a little bit of that wind blew kind of in our world. And we're like, well, yeah, I kind of, I need to have my time. Like, you know, that these yeah. kids are a little annoying, you know? Yeah. So. Right. And I, and I, and I see that pattern with, with a group of parents. Another thing I see is that, you know, that I think you've already mentioned in a sense that, that shame parents operating out of, this sense of dread that I've messed my child up already. You know, I'm coming to a conference and my child is 15 or 16 years old. And the thinking of, is it too late? You know, Absolutely. It, it, is it too late to do anything? And why do I want to focus on yeah. the, the mess I've created? I have folks that come on my office sometimes and they've shared with me, it took us a while to come in here because we didn't want to own up to the fact that we've messed something up. You know, I, I, co I completely get that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, when I have parents come to see me sometimes when they're, when they have younger kids, I give a survey, not a survey. It's a, it's a, a, a thing I've developed and, um, it's a tool and they fill information about their children and they have to fill out how many hours do they spend on video games? How much money do you spend on it? How much time do you spend? I mean, it's amazing. I yeah. get them to dissect yeah. their family. Half the people that fill that out come in my office the next time saying, we already know what the problem is and we don't like it. <laughs> I have, I have a third of the people I'd say that never come back to see me again. Absolutely. Because they, bluff, right? Right. They can't face that. And that's not meant to make them feel bad. It's all based on let's identify it correctly so we can do something about it. Yeah. But we still get caught up in that shame of, have I totally messed up being a parent? 
but and it, uh, yeah, but this is true in all areas of life. I mean, if I'm having right. a weight struggle and I go to this conference on being healthy, and you're telling me about kale chips, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to eat the kale chips to begin with. And secondly, I, I'm 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 a loser, and I'm just gonna I'm not gonna right. even try. I mean, I, I mean, there's just we tend to give up too easy. We feel guilty about. It. I mean, it, the world is pounding on us, telling us what we should, would have, should have, could have done. Yeah, so. and, and we get away from the fact that if we are broken people in a broken world, um, we're never gonna do it perfectly. Right. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, use the analogy of baseball, you know, if you're batting 300 in, in the, um, in the major leagues, you're a great batter, but that means seven times at the plate out of 10, you totally whiffed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in essence. Well, so we, you know, no other, no other realm of life do we evaluate things like we do in parenting. But the truth is we do mess up and there are things like we look back and I think, gosh, I can't believe I lost my cool at that thing. And I know he'll always remember I said that yeah. at those times. And I mean, so are you saying that, I mean, we'll get to like what to do about it, but I mean, it does seem like there really are times that we've, we've, nobody told me I wasn't supposed right. to do this or didn't know about that. So. Right. And I think that's a big part of learning to uh, parent differently is first acknowledging nobody has a corner on the market. You know, there's nobody, nobody that has parented their children perfectly. And I, you know, I, I know tons of families that seem like great families and yet had some kids that turned out really horribly. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but then other families that really struggled and really did not do well in, in their estimation of parenting and had kids that turned out fantastic. You know, we don't really, we're not deterministic. Right. We don't create the child, uh, but we are absolutely, we have the opportunity to be the loudest voice in the room for many, many years. And, yeah. And I think that's a really good point. It was, we think about what causes this guilt is that there's this, I mean, we're very formulaic. We think if yeah. we do X and Y, we get Z and there are many people, I think I remember years ago hearing a Dobson thing talk about, it. I mean, it's like first born, second born, all of a sudden this third board comes along. It's like, I did exactly the same thing. And they're and totally I, different. Like, so it must be my fault. It's like, well, maybe it's not, or maybe you really did mess up, but the child still, God was good and they still came through it. Right. So, right. Yeah. God gives us a role, but it's a role and it doesn't determine everything in the life of our child. Now that doesn't mean that we should not you know, try to figure out how can we do it better uh, but then that that gets into the third kind of group of parents I run into uh, that are fear-based. They avoid looking at anything like this because they feel like, well, I'll just fail at it. That's exactly right. You know? Yeah. So, so on the one hand, you have kind of the acknowledgement of this is going to be hard, number one. So that doesn't make it very exciting. And then two, oh, I've already totally screwed them up. And then three, anything I try now based on my history is going to fail anyway. So I end up kind of abdicating. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I don't take an active role. And that's creates such an audience for the message we hear from culture today of just keep your kid happy then. Right. And it plays right into that. It plays into 100% because it, yeah. gives you, it gives you everything you want. You don't have to overstress yourself. You can kind of do what you want to do, which, you know, that, and then. And if the meter becomes them being happy. Yeah. And, and I'm providing things for them to be happy. I can lull myself into this belief that I'm right. doing my job. Right. Yet we miss the point that our job really is to prepare them for the yeah. next stage of life. And then it is, I wonder if it's even more complicated when you introduce the classical Christian school idea, because now you've introduced this wonderful place you could put your child where they'll teach them, not just academics, but they'll help form their paideia and, the, and, and their right. affections and their loves. And it's like, man, they're going to do everything. This is perfect. <laughs> right. I'm just going to buy some right. parenting I'm fix. Abd abdicate parenting to the school system. Absolutely. Well, I yeah. mean, it sounds, and yeah, we're schools are there to, come alongside you and but again i it, it, i think sometimes maybe even for good reasons we think well, we need this school because it's kind of like the surrogate because we know we're messing up so we need the school to do it for us right and in my experience with families uh that have children in christian classical schools 
the ones that struggle a great deal are the ones that operate just like you said. I'm going to see the school as the surrogate. I'm going to see the school as the source of providing the foundation, the structure, uh, the, the, the parts of life this child need. Yeah. Almost, I'm, I'm almost offloading that to sure. the school. And not, not always thinking that you are, but you operate that way. The families that thrive are the ones that look at the school in the way of the reason we chose this school is because it lines up with what we believe and value in life. Mm. And that this form of education echoes what we are already building into a foundation in the life of our children. So we're not abdicating. If anything, we're using the school as a resource for our ultimate goal in raising our children. And of course, the reality is on the other side of that, the school world, which is schools are still trying to figure out this. And we need grace all the way around. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, it's, Yeah. yeah, we're, we know we're there to raise a generation and it's, it's tough. And I think they're teachers that look back and go, gosh, I wish I had, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. All the time. I mean, we, I, I, you, we are either going to be constantly looking back, mm-hmm. uh, which buys into a very deterministic behaviorism, Darwinian way of thinking, which in essence says our past defines us. Yeah. Or we're going to look forward and realize that God equips us to continually learn to live differently. Are we just simply, and what's really sad, I've talked to, I mean, I know of people who've said to me, um, you know, in, the, in their admission of their struggles, I'd, I didn't get it. My first and second borns were train wrecks, and, you know, there's kind of too little, too late, they're gone, and I've got this third one, so I'm going to try to do it right on this one, you know, or it's a remarriage or it's something. And, yeah. and I think, so on the one hand, I'm like, okay, I get that. You know, we get wiser as we get older. But it's not too little too late. And we're going to talk here after right, the break about, you know, what about that 28-year-old that's now running off? I mean, is it too late for them? I mean, or do we, right. you know, we didn't we didn't go to the McCurdy seminar back when we were, it was <laughs> and, available. And feel bad about our feel better about our parenting. So uh, yeah, do, do people actually come to your seminars? Is that, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Okay, good. No, they're pretty amazing. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll, uh, you're going to remove the guilt, which will be great. So a um, little bit of a- I'm looking forward to it. You can make it all happen and we can be joyful parents once again. Thanks, Keith. Gordon College is one of the nation's premier Christian colleges and located just north of Boston. We offer students extraordinary access to leading-edge opportunities for intellectual, professional, and leadership development. We prepare graduates for the increasingly complex challenges of a global society. In the tradition of Boston's great liberal arts institutions, we are what Harvard used to be, a place where a strong faith and a strong intellect are complementary, not contradictory. Gordon is a place where we we'll be better prepared for a greater purpose. Find out for yourself. Check out gordon.edu and plan a visit to campus. So Keith, we're tackling this very real topic. I think, I don't think there's a parent on that's walking the earth today that if you really got them to be honest, they wouldn't say, yeah, I, I kind of would have, could have, should have, and, and I didn't, and mm-hmm. now I'm looking at my kids and... Um, it's messy, messy, messy to be a parent. I mean, yeah, it, it really is. I, I don't know anything else. And and yet we live in a world of, you know, like, I like to joke about the Christmas cards. I mean, nobody sends a Christmas card out that has their kids all <laughs> disheveled and- Yelling and screaming, throwing yelling, stuff screaming at each other. Yeah, yeah, and most cards, you know, five minutes before, it was a lot of chaos going on there. And, but we don't like to show that side of it. And yet we know it's a reality. Um, is part of the problem that we just don't 
don't really know what voices to listen to. We get caught up in the, well, my neighbor did this or the book said that, or even, you know. Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, I'll I'll give you two examples of that. Of parents that I deal with uh, all the time is, I'll give you two ends of the parenting spectrum. The first is parents that come in of uh, a zero to two year old in the first two years of life feeling like, oh my gosh, I have already messed my child up. You know, why didn't, I I didn't do any of these things. I didn't do all this stuff that I was supposed to do or that all my friends are doing. And I have to calm parents and remind them that actually the first two years, we only have one primary job (laughs) and it's to nurture and nurture for a child from zero to two is really two key things. Keep them alive and keep them happy. It's the one time in life where the goal of keeping a child happy makes sense. And they're hardwired with an alarm system. They yell and scream because they're hot, wet, cold, hungry, tired. We run in, we take care of them. They now feel good. And we constantly are hovering around them, nurturing them. That's our job. But my profession has totally stressed out parents. I'll give you two great examples. Uh, You know, eight or 10 years ago, someone in my profession came out with the idea that we had to give our children black and white toys. Something about how it would stimulate uh, neuron development and something that affected neuroplasticity and all that garbage. Well, where are the black and white toys today? Uh, Down at the Goodwill. They're Goodwill. Right. Why? Mm -hmm. Because that was a ridiculous idea. Wasn't based on research, not not in a practical way. And another one is the baby Mozart. You know, the idea that we're all going to be, be pumping classical music into our children's lives when they yeah. sleep. The problem with that is for a lot of those kids, it, it disrupted their sleep. And baby Einstein and all the rest of it. And baby Einstein, there you go. But yet we have these things that come out that tell parents, you can do something that will get your child ahead, in a sense. Wait. It, it seems like it's a, it's just you know it's almost like a vicious cycle because we we most parents today are not unlike most human civilization are not living in proximity to the older generations they don't sit around the campfire at night they don't right. share the wisdom you're parenting by YouTube or by a Christian YouTube or whatever you go find yeah. and kind of get wisdom from and then you've got a whole industry of marketers who are going to find the psychologist who say get the black and white cube and then can I quote you on that now let's go sell this right. thing and the parents are just consumed especially as first time parents just neurotic about trying to keep up with what it is they didn't do or should do or and you're right they can't even get home from the hospital like worrying about the wrong diapers yeah i'll give you a really simple silly example but a mom who came to see me one time and she said you know my child is starting to crawl and climb and you know he's climbing on the coffee table in the dining room what do i need to do to teach him not to climb on the coffee table (laughs) and i looked at her i said well if you would have told my grandmother that, she would have said, put the coffee table in the attic until he stops climbing and can walk. Well, it, but who would think, right. Right, it's a developmental process. Yeah. They climb and they do that. Guess what? When they're walking, they no longer want to climb on the coffee table. Right. So wh- why monkey was something that's just developmental. But again, we, we were trained to think psychologically. So we start thinking we have to monkey with stuff or should be monkeying with stuff that really we sh- we shouldn't and we got to stay in the latest and greatest like this whatever is here this year is not this year so i'm into that year and the same thing in educa- education is a whole nother problem right. every time a new couple of psychologists come out with a new thing we got to go to that that kind of a school uh, it's yeah. just exhausting and 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 so one end of the spectrum i see like i said a zero to two year old okay with with the parent that feels like oh my gosh i've already messed them up they're already behind it too which is garbage mm-hmm. the second one is the parent of the teenager who comes in and thinks are we too late you know, are we too late? And I tell parents all the time, halfway joking, I say, well, are they still breathing? And they usually <laughs> laugh. And they say, well, yeah, but that's not the point. I say, well, no, it is. You know, you still have a voice in the life of your child, mm-hmm. uh, no, no matter what the age. 
And, and it isn't about what we've done to this point. It's what we're going to do from this point forward yeah. with that child. Yeah. And, and again, it maybe the voices we listen to could be the marketers. They could also just be our own expectation set of what, of what this child's supposed to be like. So I see, I see all the time grammar school parents, especially the firstborn coming through and it was sweet little Susie and then fun and play or nice little Billy. And all of a sudden hormones hit, life hits. This is normal. And now they're in middle school. Like, oh my gosh, that school is doing all these things wrong. Or my kid's having all these problems. And it's like, no, that would be just a normal kid starting to figure themselves out. Right. Exactly. But nobody's telling us that except for this perfect parenting model that floats out there. In space. One, of the, one of the most common conversations, frequent conversations I have in my office with moms and dads when they come in and they're telling me about a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grader and, you know, all of the different behavioral things they're seeing, whether it's attitude, misbehavior, you know, the most common conversation is, well, that's normal. You know, <laughs> now it's not that it's appropriate we agree it ought to be shaped, but I have to quickly get them out of thinking about everything psychologically. Like we've totally messed up. Why is our child doing this versus, well, inside of them is a hormonal and developmental explosion going on. It's pretty normal. It's like teenage males. I love it when moms come in my office, especially moms, because dads don't get this and they want to know how come my 14, 15, 16 year old doesn't want to talk to me every day after school. And I say, because they're normal 14, 15, 16-year-old males. And and I, I told one mom, uh, I said, they, they have a brooding phase they go through. And yeah. and, and we, think, we think, well, that sort of behavior or their extreme independence or the fact that they never want to be at the house when they're teenagers means we haven't done a good job and don't have a good connection. Or that what, we're just, yeah, we don't have enough family dinners together. That's right. what's wrong here. When in most cases... Teenage males that are independent, that are not always engaged in conversation with their parents, often are truly just sturdy, independent kids that have such a strong family foundation, they experience freedom. You know, it's, it's not an indication of the negative. If anything, it's built right. on a positive, right. but we misinterpret that because we think everybody ought to be talking all the time. Well, and again, it's, it's ages and stages. And so we have, what the, back to what voices are we listening to? Are we feeling guilty because we're listening to the wrong voices. I mean, we may still have a grammar school voice, which was the right voice in grammar school, but nobody gave us the new voice for what right. middle and upper school should look like. Right. Absolutely. I remember my wife and I used to joke with our son when he was in grammar school, uh, we would joke that he's going through a talking phase. He went through a talking phase for five years. <laughs> and and yet in in upper school, you know, when he was a junior and senior in, in, in uh, upper school, he was like the silent man. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. but, but all that's normal. It's developmental. Right. But you, but again, it's easy for us to internalize it, and especially if we compare and like, well, you know, he our, used our, to talk to us all the time, well, and now he doesn't. Or my best friend's son. Now, you know, he comes home every day and he tells all about what happened at school. And it's like, well, he might be a different kid, right? Exactly. <laughs> Not because you messed up. Yeah. So, so, so I think that idea of what voices should we listen to—that's complicated for sure. Um, and then, what what else do you think is sort of perpetuating that sense of you know, I'm I'm a loser parent? Where is that coming from in terms of? You know, are we are we judging our kids too soon? I mean, do we pull the cookies out halfway baked and go, "Hey, this is a mess"? Yeah, I, I one of the things I talk to parents a lot about is our job is training, planting seeds, putting things in motion. Uh, we're we're not the ones that do the harvesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if you think about just growing things, many things look very different at harvest than they did through the whole yeah. process. Right. 
Uh, you know, I've coached basketball for years and I differentiate in parenting. I use the analogy of practice versus game day. You know, practice is almost always ugly and we want it to be ugly because we're working on crafting something. We want it to show up and come together on game day. Well, as parents, parenting is practice. It's rarely game day, although we do get glimpses of it. I love the parents that, and, and many parents will connect with this. My child is perfect when they're at so-and-so's house. <laughs> Those parents compliment the manners and everything, and yet at home they just grump around. And the point is, well, that's the difference between practice and game day. Yeah, exactly. Practice is going to be messy. Right. Can you imagine? That's a great Im- Im- image of, of a coach who's all downtrodden. Oh, I'm just such a loser coach. The kids keep missing the shots, and I just don't think I'm a very good coach. It's like, uh, no. I mean, we, it seems right. ludicrous, but we right. do that in our parenting. In our parenting, that's right. That is really, you know, and I think just back to the, I often see it too, we're just, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, the sense of what, what is, when is, when are we done? And then I guess I, we often talk about in the school world, like the goal is not 18, go off to college. Like the goal would be like, right. where's your kid when they're 50? Did that character set get formed? And, and I often hear, I hear judgments over schools all the time. Why have you seen their alumni from that school? I mean, did you know what so-and-so is doing? And it's like, well, first of all, maybe so-and-so off at college is, you know, just, you know, that's not, they're not making wise decisions, but it doesn't right. mean that God's through with them. It doesn't mean that your parenting was bad. And Absolutely. it may be that check back in a few years and all of a sudden those seeds bore fruit. So, yeah, no, I see that all the time, you know, thinking that again, that's that behavioral Darwinian thinking that if something is healthy and good, that it's automatically going to produce what we think we're, we should see when we sure. think we should see it. Yeah. And, and yet, yeah. You know, many of our children, even in their 20s and 30s, are still cooking, still figuring out life. I was. <laughs> I, You know, I bet you were as well. I may still be cooking. I, well, think, I, I hope th- I am. <laughs> I think I'm on a low simmer. Yeah, I, you know. don't burn me. Yeah. But no, I mean, we've talked before. I mean, some Bible makes this point. You know, train up a child in the way they will go. And when they're, um, when old. they're when they get to high school, they'll be perfect. No. <laughs> yeah, when, they were, when they're old, and in a sense, what we get is when they're old, they will know God's truth. Yeah. It's interesting. It doesn't say they'll always be well behaved. Yeah. It doesn't say they will have a perfect life. Yeah. It basically, that reflection is the goal is them knowing God's truth. Right. But I think so often, again, we, I told the story before when, when Hannah, my oldest, was probably three or four and we were in the grocery store and she was in a little shop, you know, in the chopping cart pushing around. And I turned my back for a second and she reached up and grabbed, a, I don't know, it's like a stack of boxes and not, I mean, absolute disaster in aisle number four. <laughs> And I am like red in the face and you can see people looking at me and I immediately interpreted as what kind of a horrible parent are you? And you know, you let that child right. and I'm just, and I, and I immediately found myself both a combination of guilt and anger. Yeah. Like, it's a child who reached up and grabbed some, bo- I mean, it's like, but we live with this sense but, of. <laughs> yeah. When in, in essence, that's a fun moment or a learning moment, all depending on how you respond to yeah. it versus interpreting it based on your parenting. I, I'll give you a great one. Um, it, it, it's a college, it's a parent of a college student who shares with me that they're worried that they failed in parenting because their college freshman or college sophomore called home because they're struggling with something. And they think, oh my gosh, I'm a failure because they're struggling. And I look at them and I say, <laughs> success, you made it. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, wait a minute. The notion that your child will never struggle again in life, given that we're broken in a broken world is fake anyway. Your child, when they struggled, called you. That is it. Which right. means you've established yourself as someone of value in their life. That's so that when they struggle, they see you as a mentor. Yeah, that's you know, 
Yeah. And we don't see it that no, way. No, we, we filter it through the, it's a problem. And yeah. again, it reflects me. The knock the box is over. It's about, I'm a bad parent. Oh my goodness. Just, no, they're struggling because they're human in a yeah. broken world and life is messy. The fact that they're calling you is huge. Okay. But let me ask this because I, and we, and I know we never have enough time. We'll have to have you back continue these conversations. But the question I have is there really are, we do have, we do live in a broken world and there really are times we blow it. And I can think of times yeah. where, I mean, I'm sure you have people in your office all the time that like, well, I wasn't a believer then I got remarried and gosh, that, you know, now my son's 28 and like we have this brokenness. I mean, how, what do you do when, you know, you really have blown it? Yeah. I, you know, I tell parents, um, you know, God is in the reconciliation business and whether it is, uh, we blasted our 12 year old daughter, yelled and screamed at her and put her to bed totally blew it and have to go back in and reconcile with her, seek forgiveness, own, own what we need to own and seek forgiveness, uh, and then start anew. It's the same thing with the parent that later in life comes to Christ and, and puts their life straight and realizes I totally blew it with my child who's now 35 years old. What do I do? And and the conversation I have with that parent is it's time to reach out for reconciliation. Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, the first steps of forgiveness in many ways that we see in scripture is owning what was wrong. And, you know, when, when a parent feels that burden, it means they know what wasn't good. Guess who needs to hear it? The child. Right. The adult child. Right. You know, own it with them. Seek forgiveness. Have no expectation, though. Because, again, that's where you're planting a seed for them to hopefully do the right thing with, yeah. hopefully grow with. <clears throat> but, it, you know, for me, it's we're going to blow it at times. Sometimes we're going to blow it. Sometimes we blow it in horrible ways. Um, but most parents, we blow it all the time in little ways. But we need to be in the reconciliation business. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe another way to say it is that we we get we we get too enamored with formulas. But and I understand right. that. And if we could, if we do X Y, we should get Z. It, I mean, it seems like that's yeah. just it. Life would be ideal if it were that way. And when we're dealing with you know that when we've blown it, we feel like, hey, I, I, okay, well, I called and I told them I'm sorry, and and then they, it didn't change anything. Yeah. Versus, <laughs> versus my role is to call, be honest confess, own it, seek forgiveness and leave it with them. Yeah. No expectation. Yeah. Because that's where we're orienting orienting ourselves rightly with yeah. that issue with God. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously coming from a, a Christ-centered perspective, I, I, I don't know how, I mean, I granted, I think if your view of the world for people that, you know, it, we're, we're coming from a secular viewpoint, if, say, if somebody was and their attitude was, I blew it. I mean, it's very hard to understand grace and reconciliation and hope. I mean, that, this is where the gospel it, is absolutely vital to us having absolutely. the ability I, to move forward. It, it's hard for me even to think about how folks, um, I mean, this will sound bad, in my profession function when they don't know Christ. How in the world can we offer hope well, unless right. we know Christ? Right. How, how, can we, how do we understand how to deal with true suffering Unless or, or true trauma we've been through, unless we understand our past or what's occurred, doesn't uh, doesn't give us our identity. Maybe doesn't why, determine us. Maybe that's why so many of your colleagues write not yours, but I mean the industry just you know it's it's medication. I mean let's just yeah, let's yeah. just knock off the edge and yeah. Let's move hope on. you feel better without actually changing the quality yeah, of your life because we don't actually know how to reconcile and how to make it right. So I mean, so it right. sounds like so in conclusion, you know, gosh, Keith, I, I I wish I had, I should have, I didn't know I had. I'm, I mean, I would so. The, I think that often prevents us from becoming better. What I love in this message is like we're. It's never too late, you know. Let's, yeah, it's never let's, too late. Let's better ourselves. Let's and and it's and it's it's never too late. And it's not about going backwards and redoing anything. Yeah. It's let's meet them where they are. Let's meet them where they are and start from there. Yeah. And continue to make yourself better as a parent. I mean, right. it's you know, even if your kids aren't in home, 
anymore. You can Absolutely. still be a better parent. You that's still right. are because then you're gonna have to be a better grandparent. And that's gonna be that's a whole other episode. Uh, it's, that'll be a good one. All right, yeah. we'll have you back on that one. How to be a better grandparent. sounds so, great, Keith. Thanks so much. I'm feeling better already, and uh, I will. I can I can be a, like all those parents living with a <laughs> sense of God is not through with things yet. So not at all. Be yeah. excited about that. Well, thanks so much for being here, Keith, and look forward to having you on again. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Basecamp Live. You know, the vision of this podcast is that it's meant to be a conversation. And I do a lot of the talking, but I would love to hear from you because I know that these episodes are inspiring to parents and teachers and really anyone who is interested in investing in the next generation. So I want to invite you right now to email info at basecamplive.com. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know any thoughts or comments you have. And I do want to say a special welcome to our many international subscribers who are all over the world. If you're not following us on social media, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter at BasecampLive.com. I'm also traveling and visiting schools all around the country now, consulting, training, and connecting. Let me know where you are. I'd love to visit and bring the Basecamp Roadshow to your school. Blessings to you, and thanks for listening.